We're still in a series called Loving the World Around Us, and, and hopefully through this, one of the things you've discovered, and you will learn that this is really a passion of mine. I mean, this is what my heart beats for, and it's what I believe God's heart beats for. And so I just want to kind of jump in. You know, as you study the Bible, one of the things you discover is that God's in an all-out search for at least two kinds of people. And the first category of people that God is searching for are what he calls the fully committed. Second Chronicles 69 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And here's the thing. Um, and something we need to understand. The fully committed are not the proud, not the self-righteous religious types who think that the most important thing in life is them. They are those who understand that the church was never to be a place where only the saved could come. Do you remember the quote I gave you last week from Paul Harvey? I love this. He said, Christians too often forget that they are supposed to be fishers of men, not just keepers of the aquarium. And that's so true. You see, whether you want to accept it or not, we are his hands like Bernie prayed a while ago. As you were praying, I'm thinking, man, Bernie, that's awesome because I'm going to talk about that. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his voice. We are the ones who are to show and to tell the good news that salvation has come. Which leads us to the second kind of person God is searching for. And it's those who are not a part of his family yet. It's those who are on the outside looking in. Those who are lost. And in need of a Savior. I love this passage in Ezekiel 34, uh, verses 11 and 12, and then also the first part of verse 16. And the cool thing is, I, I never realized, I guess, I just hadn't thought about it, how closely tied this one is to a verse in Luke chapter 5. In fact, we're going to, uh, I mean, Luke chapter 15. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But this is what Ezekiel 34 says. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. Jesus says in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. So the question we need to ask is simply this. What kind of church do you want to be? I mean, what kind of church do you want to be? Do you want to be just an aquarium that just kind of keeps the fish? Or do you really want to be fishers of men and women? What kind of church do we want to be? You see, unfortunately, there are those churches that don't like to get their hands dirty with those who are out there. But anyone who reads the Gospels will discover that Jesus loved to get his hands dirty. Jesus loved to party with the sinners and the outcasts. Of society, And while the solemnly pious could not relate to what he was about, the outcasts, they could see him, I believe, for who he was. Now here's what, here's what may not be so easy to admit. And we've talked about this before, but I want to reinforce it to you. We all tend to have this secret list of people we just can't stand, don't we? I mean, think about it. I mean, if you're really honest... We all have this secret list of people we just can't stand. I mean, people we want to put on a boat, you know, headed out to the middle of the ocean and just leave them there. I mean, ask us to love some people outside of our comfort zones and, 
out of nowhere comes this whole list of qualifiers that kind of rises up from within. And so it's like we say, all right, I mean, if you're asking me to love those people, then they better be nice, they better not hurt me, they better be safe, you know, they, they better be stable, they better be deserving, and the qualifying list can go on and on. And so the question is this, then, how are we supposed to love? I mean, what's our heart supposed to look like in concern for those out there? Well, there's a great passage of Scripture that we've looked at. Again, we've looked at this before uh, just a couple years ago. That's found in Luke chapter 15 that helps us to understand the things that God's heart beats for. So we're not going to really go into this, but I just want to give you a quick overview just to remind you of some things that we've talked about. As chapter 15 opens up, Jesus is in the marketplace, and he's talking with people who are far from God. People who are non-religious, people who have bad reputations. And he's hanging out with them, and he's talking, he's listening, he's laughing, and he's spending time with them. And as the scene unfolds, we notice the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, man, they, they become a little troubled in their spirits. I mean, they get their shorts a little wrinkled with the situation. Actually, they thought this whole thing was utterly scandalous and because the people Jesus is interacting with, the people Jesus is talking with, the people Jesus is spending time with are the exact people who are on their list of people they hate, people they don't like, people they want to put on a boat headed to sea. They don't want anything to do with them. And Jesus, of all people, is hanging out, pouring into them. And I believe that somewhere along the way, these religious leaders had convinced themselves that somehow God's heart looked like their hearts. And because of that, he has people he loves, but he also has people that he hates. He also has people that he's just waiting to say, you're toast. So the Pharisees reasoned that if that's true, then it's okay for them to hate these immoral and ungodly people. And Jesus hears the grumbling. He knows their hearts. And so he tells three of the most famous parables in the scriptures, one right after the other. And he tells of a lost sheep, the lost coin, and a wayward son. And in each of these stories, the plot line is the same. Something is lost. A sheep is lost. And a coin is lost. And a son wanders away from home, leaves home, and is lost to his father. And in each of these stories, that which is lost really matters to somebody. I mean, the shepherd is so concerned about the loss of his one sheep that he literally risks the other 99 to find them. The woman is so distraught over the loss of her one, one coin that literally cancels everything for that day. She just scours the house until she finds that which is lost. And the father, he's so brokenhearted that his, his son is left that he endures the scorn of the village by running to his son when he returns home. And in each case, what is lost matters so much that it warrants an all-out search. And then when that which is lost is found, everyone goes 
into party mode. They go into party mode. Now, you put these three observations together and what do you have? Well, you have Jesus standing in front of a group of religious types who think they have it all figured out, who think they know what really matters to God. I mean, in their minds, they're the ones that matter. And that's why I believe Jesus just rapid fires truth into their souls so that they will never forget and they will never wonder again what and who matters to God. You see, these parables are designed to let us know that God finding one lost person who appreciates being found is far more important to God than dealing with people who are so self-righteous that they don't even know that they're lost. And so, if we're going to reflect the Father's heart, then we must make a conscious effort to find ways to connect with those outside of Christ. And when we do, man, I believe all heaven will be holding its breath, waiting for an opportunity to go into party mode. You see, you and I have a mission. We are now the eyes and the ears and the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus. And we can no longer afford to just sit still waiting for people to come to us. It's time that we start living and being Jesus to a lost world. I mean, that's what we're called to do. So over the next two weeks, I want to look at how we can live out his heart just in a very practical way. And so today we're just going to begin to look at some things in a practical way that can help us just to live out God's heart and to fulfill his mission in this world. Just pray with me real quickly. Father, I just pray for these last few moments that we have together. And God, what we're about to say just is so important. So, Father, I pray for everybody's minds and hearts just to be focused on you and what you have. And God, may your spirit, who is here, who indwells, may your spirit just begin to move and work in this place and in our lives. And may people come to know you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The first thing is this. It's very basic, but it's very critical, very important, and it's something I don't think we we think about enough, and that is this. Jesus has got to be real to us. I mean, Jesus has got to be real to you. Let me ask you. I mean, is he really real to you? I mean, in your life, is Jesus a reality? Is he real? Is he a part of who you are? Seminary professor Terry Wardell wrote, Christ's love relationship with God was, was foundational to his ministry. Repeatedly in Scripture, we see Jesus getting away to commune with God. He found places of solitude where he sought the Father's love, direction, and empowerment. Because of his relationship with the Father, it enabled him to work in perfect harmony with God and made him effective in service to broken and lost people. Here's the thing. If you intend to offer Christ to a lost world in a way that is meaningful and relevant, then Jesus has got to be real to you. I mean, he's got to be real to you. He's got to be more than a guy who just wore sandals and lived a couple thousand years ago. 
He's got to be more than someone you call on in times of trouble or before you eat something, you're really not sure what it is. He's got to be more than a swear word. He has to be both Savior and Lord of your life. He has to be everything to you. Everything. Is he real to you? Here's what I believe. Love for lost people will occur naturally when you finally realize that without Jesus in your heart, you were just as lost as the drug addict, the murderer, whatever, who's out there today, who has never given their life to Christ. You were just as lost. And you were on the same road that, lay, that would lead to eternal separation from God. And we've got to understand that and we've got to realize that. And then we've got to realize that because of God's amazing love and because of Jesus' selfless sacrifice, you and I were given an opportunity to be a part of God's awesome family. Here's the thing. We've got to understand that we will never be excited. As I've said before, you will never be excited about being saved until you realize you were lost. You'll never be excited about being saved until you realize you were lost without Jesus. Until you personally accepted Christ into your heart and into your life, you were lost. But because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done, we now have been saved. When we take him as both Lord and Savior. So let me ask you, how important is Jesus to you? I mean, is he real enough that the world around you sees the difference he makes in your life? The principle is this, you can't give somebody, somebody something you don't have. You can't give them something you don't have. And you can't take them any farther than you yourself already are. So is he real to you in your life? You see, if we want to have the heart of God, the first thing, Jesus has got to be real, man. He's got to be real to you. But, but it continues, second of all, as we develop a heart that is soft and tender toward lost people. We develop a heart that is soft and tender toward lost people. This is why I say that. Because I believe, and this is what I see so many times, I believe this, that there are too many Christians out there today that have this philosophy that because God is love and because he is gracious, he's just going to kind of accept everybody in. You see, I'm not really sure that, there are, that some people honestly believe that people outside of Jesus are lost. You may read it and you may see it in the scriptures, but mentally I don't think you really comprehended that. And one of the reasons may be because if we really understood it, then it would cause us to do something. But if we don't believe it, then we really don't have to do anything about it. And so the question is, do you honestly believe that without Jesus, people are lost? And because of that, they will spend an eternity separated from their God. Do you believe that with all your heart? Or do you just see God as this big grandfather sitting on the front porch of heaven, rocking away, going, go ahead and come on in. Everybody's welcome. It doesn't matter what you did, what you've done, what you believe, you just come on in. You see, unfortunately, too many people see that and under or believe that. Michael Green wrote, if you truly believe that outside of Jesus there is no hope, 
It is impossible to possess an atom of love and kindness without being gripped with the great desire to bring men and women to this one way of salvation, Jesus Christ. The Bible's very clear. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You see, when you truly become convinced of this truth, you cannot help but share Jesus with your friends. You cannot help but share Jesus with your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, whoever, when you are convinced of that fact. So what can you do? Well, first of all, I think you, can, you need to ask God to give you a vision and a passion for your family, neighbors, friends, and coworkers. I mean, just pray, God, give me that passion. Give me your heart. Give me that heart that has that passion for those who are outside of the faith. Whether it's my family, whether it's my friends, whether it's my neighbors, whether it's my coworkers. God, just give me that passion. Give me that heart. But the second thing we can do is this. We need to pray every morning for God to give us somebody to share with. And I believe this with all my heart. I believe we need to pray every morning. God, just give me someone to share with. You see, I believe people are there in our life every day. But I think the reason we don't see them is because we're not praying for it. But when we pray, our spiritual eyes are open, and we can now see. And so we need to pray, God, give me somebody to share with. Give me somebody to minister to. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. I love that, that part right there, being watchful and thankful. We'll talk about it in a minute, but here's the interesting thing about that. I love the way he ties the two together, watchful and thankful. Because it's one thing to watch, but it's another thing that when you're watching and you see, you're thankful for what you see. It's like, oh man, not that, not that person, God. Not that person. Anybody but them. You know, I'm not thankful for that, God. So it's interesting. Be watchful. And thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in change. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, I, I believe Paul gives us some great advice here, some great principles. Let me share a few with you. First of all, we need to pray for opportunities. Just like I mentioned, we need to pray for those opportunities. Paul said, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. Again, I believe they're there every single day of our lives, but we will miss them if we don't pray for them. Now, let me share a story with you. I shared this a couple years ago, but it's the best way I, I know to describe because it's true. It's a true story of my life. When I was in college at Ozark, I traveled with Christ in youth. And um, we were, that particular year, I think it was around 1977, um, we were going to be uh, doing a concert at the Oklahoma Christian Teen Convention. And uh, that year it was in Muskogee, Oklahoma, USA. Man, I'm proud to be an Okie from Muskogee. Um, so it was, it was in Muskogee, Oklahoma. It was right before Thanksgiving. 
And um, so, so we get there and we get set up, we, get, we, we unpack, and then it's just about dinner time. And so right after dinner, we go downstairs for devotions. And the leader of our group was a guy by the name of Tom Lawson. Tom's just a great guy, just such a great mentor to us at that time. And, and as we had devotions, Tom said something that night that he had never said before when we had got together. And this is what he said. He said, I want you to pray this prayer. God, give me somebody to minister to tonight. Give me somebody to share with tonight. You know, I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And so I prayed that prayer. I'm not sure how much I believed it at the time, but I prayed it. And then I stood back to kind of watch and see. But I prayed, God, give me somebody to minister to. Now, we'll come back to the story in just a moment. Because the second thing we need to do is this. Not only pray for opportunities, but then we need to watch for those opportunities. He said, be watchful and then thankful. Watchful and thankful. So let me go back to my story. So after dinner, there's a main session. We're not performing until about 9 o'clock, 9.15. It just depended. They gave us about 20 minutes after the main session was over. So we're in the main session. And what happens sometimes, if you've really had a lot to drink at dinner, you know, you've got to take that Nature Valley break. And yeah, So I had to get up and go to the bathroom. And so I, I got up, and I headed out, and I went to the restroom. Now, when I came back, they had doors kind of like that where they had the glass on. So I looked through the glass to see where they were in the service. And I could tell they were getting close to the end and they were getting close to the commitment time. So I didn't want to just barge in at that point. So I just stood there. Now, the church at Boulevard uh, Christian Church in Muskogee, they had a, a long foyer. So they had a long and then a long foyer. And then they had stairs that went down and then to a landing and then out into parking lots that were on both sides. As I was standing there looking into that door and just kind of standing there, I heard the door open. And when I looked down to my right, this guy comes in. It's the, he's the Marlboro man. I'm seriously, man. I mean, he's your typical, what you would think of as that Oklahoma cowboy. He had his cowboy hat on. He had his cowboy outfit on, which I called an outfit. Had his boots on, you know. I wanted to go look and see if his horse was out there, but I didn't. And he comes in, he comes up the stairs, and then he just begins to walk around. And along the, the back wall of the foyer was all the displays from colleges and ministries that, that the kids could look at. And so, they, and so he just began to kind of wander around and look. And, and I'm standing there looking indoor going, man, i got to get back in there. i got to get back in there. And then it hit me. What did you pray? What did you pray? Man, God, not now. <laughs> not with him. And so I turned and I went to introduce myself. And so we have to pray for opportunities, and we have to watch for opportunities. But thirdly, we have to make the most of those opportunities. In fact, that's what Paul said. He said, make the most of every opportunity. You see, it's one thing to pray. It's one thing to watch. But if you don't take advantage of the opportunity, it does no good. We have to take advantage of the opportunities that come into our life. 
So let's go back. So I turn around and I go back and, and I introduce myself. Now, I'm just a college kid. I, I was a, a sophomore or junior in college at Bible college. I introduced myself and he introduces himself. And we begin this conversation in which it turns to almost a country and western song. You know, his fiance just left him. You know, I, I, I think he was struggling with alcohol. I wanted to ask if his dog died, but I didn't. Um, and so he's struggling with those things, and literally he begins to weep. He begins to cry, and I'm not sure what to do. I'm just a college student. I'm just a, a sophomore or junior in Bible college. I wasn't sure what I was all I was supposed to do. So I just simply said, hey, man, can you wait here because I want to get somebody that can help both of us. And I went in, and I got Tom. And Tom came out, and Tom and I took him downstairs to where we met for devotions. And we shared with him, and we talked with him, and we let him pour his life out, and then we poured Jesus into his. And before the night was over, that, that man accepted Jesus Christ into his life. Here's the thing that broke me that night. I thought, what if I hadn't prayed that prayer? What if I hadn't prayed that? I mean, what if I hadn't made the most of the opportunity that God had just given me? I mean, would he have found somebody else? Maybe, but maybe not. Would he have accepted Jesus into his heart? You know, I don't know, but what I do know is this. Because I prayed and because I made the most of the opportunity, another precious soul was delivered from an eternity separated from God. That's what I do know. And I want to stop here because we're going to finish these practical things next week. But let me close with this. Robert DeBruce was the Scottish noble whose character is most remembered for betraying William Wallace. But he later became king and rose up to lead Scotland to freedom after Wallace's execution. A Scottish pastor by the name of James Pettigrew once shared a tale about Robert de Bruce that was kind of a mixture of history as well as legend. It seemed that Robert de Bruce died in 1329 at the age of 54. And shortly before his death, he had requested that his heart be removed from his body and then taken on crusades by a worthy knight. James Douglas was one of his closest friends, and he was at his bedside when he died, and he took on that responsibility. So after his death, the heart of Robert de Bruce was removed, embalmed, and placed in a small container that Douglas carried around his neck. In every battle that Douglas fought, he literally carried the heart of his king. In the early spring of 1330, Douglas sailed from Scotland to Granada, Spain, and engaged in a campaign against the Moors. In an ill-fated battle, Douglas and his men found themselves surrounded, and they knew death was both certain and imminent. And in that moment, Douglas reached for the heart strapped around his neck, and he threw it into the enemy's midst, and he cried out to his men, Fight for the heart of your king. Fight for the heart of your king. And here's the thing I want us to understand. To belong to God is to belong to his heart. To belong to God is to have the very heart of God. 
And what's important to God is important to us. What he's passionate about, it's got to be passionate in our life. We need to fight for the heart of the king. I don't know where you're at today. Rob's going to come and he's going to play. But as we reflect today, I just want, I just want you to begin to think about just a couple things. One is this. Is Jesus Christ real to you? Because if he's not, then you need to get some things taken care of this morning. Is he real to you? Has he become a part of who you are in your life? Second of all, who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Are you, are you praying for those opportunities that God can give you on a daily basis? Are you praying for people who you might touch, who you might reach? I mean, do you have somebody right now in mind that you've been praying for just to reach out to. Let me tell you, it's so exciting to see when this takes hold of somebody's life. I won't tell you who, but one of our ladies in our church shared with my wife a couple weeks ago and shared with me. She was out on the playground with one of the kids she babysits for and she met a lady in the neighborhood and she began to share with her. That lady brought her kids to VBS this week. That lady was in church this morning with her husband. And when she left, she was in tears. I talked with her. And her and this lady from our church were talking and she was just weeping and I came up and I said, I just said, I am so thankful that you guys came. And she said this. She said, now my husband was raised Catholic. He, he hasn't gone to church in years. She said, he thanked me with tears when the service was over that I brought him. That wouldn't have happened if somebody hadn't have been in a, in a place and looked for an opportunity that was before them just to share Jesus. Who do you have in your life, in your mind? I've told you before, I've got a couple guys that I'm working with at the gym. One uh, has actually been at church one time, but um, he just started a new job, and I ran into him uh, two weeks ago at the gym one, one evening, and we, we were talking, and uh, he told me about his new job, and he's like a lot of you, you know, when you get this security clearance, some of the jobs you have, you just can't tell people or that you, know, you have to kill them, you know, that kind of thing. Well, he, that's kind of the job he had, you know, he couldn't tell me, but we talked and then, so later I was getting ready to leave and I saw him and I went over to him and because I just felt God saying, you need to tell him this. So I went over to him and I said, you know what, I just want you to know how awesome it is you got that job. And I want you to know that I've got people at our church who are praying for you. They don't know your name because I haven't asked permission. But they've been praying for you. And he broke down and he gave me a big hug. and said, thank you. Who is it on your radar? Who are you praying for? What opportunities are you taking advantage of in your life? As we reflect, whatever you have on your heart, I'm just going to invite you to come. If you, if you just need prayer, then come. We'll pray with you.
If you need Jesus, then you come. We'll, we'll help you through that process. If you just need to get some things right, then you come. As Rob plays and as we reflect.